Would you open God's precious holy word to Psalm 149? Instructions for worship. This is like a primer uh, for worship. We have to understand the ground on which we walk as we study something like this in the Old Testament especially. Jewish worship entailed far more complicated facets of worship. Maybe not complicated, but extensive facets of worship because of the temple and because of the priesthood. Um, but the aspects of worship, the, the basic principles of worship, though we can't, we can't do, we, we don't do what the Jews did in their day because we don't have the temple and, and uh, we don't have the appointed dancers with symbols and, and we don't have the Levitical Korahite choir uh, like they did in their day. But we still have a yearning for worship. It's just in our hearts as to who it is. So there are things here, of course, that are important for us when we think of worship. Both Jewish and Christian worship. As we worship our God, we, it comes from the heart. And this is part of who we are as the people of God. So there are some instructions here for worship. And so let's consider them. Number one, worship intelligently. Hallelujah. Sing to Yahweh a new song. The life of the elect of God through the generations is built on the expanding view of the wonders of our Lord. A new song, a new thing to praise him about, a new experience, something, something new in the world that impacts everybody, but of course impacts the people of God who recognize it as the hand of God. This is something, you know, for example, there was a psalm that was written before the release of the Jews while they were still in Babylon. They just couldn't sing and they couldn't play their instruments. They were, they were sad, but there was, there was something, there was, a, there was a life situation that they hadn't faced before that could create a new kind of worship that they hadn't experienced before. The same way when they were, and I think we've studied one of these Psalms recently, the same way when they were released from bondage by the Persians and they go back to rebuild Jerusalem. And now they play their instruments again and, and they have a, a renewed joy that is a joy they could not have understood in their previous history as the people of God. So this is what it's saying. Sing to Yahweh a new song. 
There's always an expanding and new thing every day for which to praise Yahweh. And in the lives of the Israelites, of course, there were victories in war. There were, uh, there were prophecies that came true. There, was, there were the, the uh, prophecies of the future Messiah, of the great kingdom that's coming and so forth. We have 150 psalms and many of them are songs of worship. So obviously, when one group is written and then the next group of psalms are written, it's because there's a new song to sing. There's a new thing in life for which to praise Yahweh, to praise the Lord. Here's the point. To worship intelligently, that's probably the, I could have used a better word, but with your mind recognizing that everything in life is working for the good of God's people. We've gone through some changes recently. And we have to still understand that we're the people of God in the world and that even with the changes in the world that are occurring there are reasons to praise the Lord. It brings us closer to the return of Christ. It brings God's people closer. Uh, it, it makes those of us who are for real in the Christian faith want to, want to understand the word of God even more deeply. These are good things. So whatever passes through life gives reasons to sing a new song to Yahweh. His praise is in the congregation of the pious, of the saints, of the saintly, of the righteous, the pious. Israel will rejoice with its maker. There is another way, another category that God's people can rejoice that no other people can rejoice with. Namely, that God Almighty has made everything. He's our maker. He has made us. He has made the world. All that is in the world. He's made the stars and the moon and the sky. He's made everything that we see. The brightest minds in a worldly sense. Continue to study the deep things of the cosmos. Now, when they separate that study from the creator, they remain in confusion. It doesn't mean anything to them. And then they find out later, the next generation of students realize that those guys were wrong and their theories were false. And now they're having to go in another direction. That's not a burden to the people of God because we understand the law of cause and effect and we know the causer who caused the cause. Everything else is an effect of it. And we know in the word of God, we've been taught that there are things that are too high for man that he will never understand. He invites Job in Job's day. You know, 
And through Job, which is probably the oldest written, recorded book of the Bible. Through Job, it's like God says to the rest of the world, see what you can discover about the treasure of a snowflake or, or the, the great pillars of the world. The, the sons of God singing for joy. The names of all of the constellations and every star by name. None of us could name all of the stars. We don't even know how many there are. And God takes this responsibility on himself because he's the creator. And he carefully cares for his creation. And so the invitation is extended from generation to generation and people can never, those apart outside of, of the elect of God, can never come to a conclusion or an agreement about why everything is as it is. This unknown 900,000 volts, for example, that mysteriously holds subatomic particles together. The book of Colossians says that it is Christ. It is it, Colossians 1, is it verse 6? It is Christ who holds things together. Sunistomy. They consist because of the power of Christ. Well, we can go on and on about this. But this causes us to rejoice. We rejoice over our maker. A maker, a creator who saw us before we ever were. Provided for us. Before we ever existed in a physical sense, we rejoice over that. A reason for worship. Because we see, we rationally understand that there is, there is an authority, there is a power that created everything. You can take every theory that exists apart from the Bible and go backward in time and there can be some fanciful theories about how creation was at this point, and before that it was at this point, and it was here, and then it was finally, one of the theories says that the whole universe was compressed into a space the size of the head of a pen. Can you imagine the energy that it would take to, to contain all of the material in the universe and press it against one another's particles so tightly that it fits on the head of a pen. The universe fits on, and then the Big Bang. Boom. Of course, that's, that's not the record that we have in the Bible, but after all they come back to this point of the head of a pen or whatever, still the question that they cannot answer is, well, how did the stuff get there in the first place? And if it was compressed, who compressed it? And if it was released, by whom and how was it released? The stuff just didn't create itself. We rejoice with our maker because we know he hasn't lied to us. He's told us the truth. In his word, he tells us where we fit and why we fit and what our task is as believers, which is namely to worship him. So we rejoice with Israel. Israel will rejoice with its maker. The children of Zion will exult with their king. The rest of the world, 
apart from the elect of God, are confused about who's in charge. I'm not confused. I understand there is a king on the throne. I understand that he is directing the affairs of everything that brings us finally to a consummation. And he is the king of kings. I have a king. I can see clearly how the world is being brought to the fulfillment of everything that he said would happen. Doesn't doesn't confuse me. I can see it. And I have a king. I'm not confused about leadership or, or who's in charge. I know who's in charge and we worship because of that. Oh, worship the king. An old hymn that we've sung. Worship because of what you know. Then worship fervently. Now, we don't worship like the Israelites worshiped because our culture of worship is different. It was the Old Testament. There was a temple. Physical sacrifices, blood, altar, altars, feast days and, and fast days. Those things had to be observed. And certain times of the year, those who were appointed and had been trained would dance and play and sing. And this would all be part of the worship whereby an offering would be made and that which ascended into the nostrils of God was a sweet smelling savor. We don't worship like that today. We don't kill an animal and, and, and do other things. But we are still, as the people of God, we should be fervent worshipers. They will praise his name in dance with timbrel and harp. They will play music to him. For Yahweh takes pleasure in his people. He beautifies the humble with salvation. This is a this is a pleasing thing to Yahweh for the people to come together and energetically and fervently praise him. This is not a temple. This is not a tabernacle. As a matter of fact, he doesn't inhabit in these days the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies doesn't exist, but he does by his spirit inhabit his people and inhabiting his people. He still inhabits the praise of his people. Fervent worship. We worship from the heart in truth and in spirit. Worship gratefully. The saints will be joyful in glory. They will sing praises even on their beds. What we are told here is that we, we live a life of joy and praise 
that goes from the time that we wake up until the time that we go to bed. There is a praise in our hearts. And if you didn't eat liver and onions, you might have some sweet dreams about worship. But this is how, this is how we worship. We worship gratefully, thankfully, joyfully. We are happy in the Lord. Finally, we worship victoriously, triumphantly. Consider the last verses of the psalm. Let the high praises of God in their throats and a double-edged sword in their hands. Let them carry the sword and the praise. I explained to you the other, another time, some few weeks back, about Eliyahu and Hagalil, how they, how they marched for the cause of God in, uh, in Israel. So, life is a battlefield. And we are fighting battles every day. So how, how are we to be prepared? We're to be prepared in two ways. With a praise in our voice and a sword, a double-edged sword in our hand. Now the Bible says that the Word of God is a double-edged sword. That's the book of Hebrews. It cuts this way and it cuts that way. Every way that it is slashed, it cuts. It divides asunder the soul. From the spirit. So our high praise should be that we would, we would vocally praise God and that we would stand in the battlefield with the word of God in our hands and in our hearts to execute vengeance upon the nations and punishments upon the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron. To execute upon them a, judge, a written judgment that will be honor to all of his saints. Hallelujah. Our Lord Christ himself used the word church in, a, in, an, in an English translation sense. Ecclesia, ek is, to, is out from, kaleo is to call. The church... The word, for some strange reason, in, in the Latin era, is made to be curiocus, which is a lord house, the house of, of the Lord, or lordly house, curiocus. Curicus and then curcus in the Old English becomes circus, which is a designated place. It's, it's not a place of clowns, and originally it wasn't. And then the word kirk becomes in a later English time, a later time of English, church. It's an unfortunate translation, in my view, because it speaks of people and not of buildings in the original text. It's the, the, the separated, the called out ones. So the church is people and not a building. The church is people and not a place. Israel was a place. The temple was a place, but the church is not. The church is the people. Okay, 
So the people of God in the world are to storm the battlefield. Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against my church, against my separated assembled people. Gates don't march. Gates just stand there. Gates are stormed during a battle. And in that early time with his disciples, Christ was saying that his people are to be aggressive on the battlefield of earth with praise to God and with a, with a slashing of the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. The Word of God can be spoken by the world, but it is meaningless. However, the Word of God that comes from the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is energized spiritually, and it, it bears witness with spirits, with with the spirits of people. A steel sword can't do that. It can bear witness with a gut, slash a person to death. But our job is to be aggressive with the word of God. This means that we, we pray to God and we ask him, how, how can we fight on this battlefield? What do we do? Take up your sword, speak forth your praise, Slash this way and that way with the word. And here's what will happen. Nations will fall under judgment. People will come under punishment. The gospel of Jesus Christ always has a result. One result is to see people lifted up in salvation and saved people lifted even higher. The other result is to see lost people confirmed in their damnation, in their lostness, in their, in their being bound to hell. The Word of God will always have a result, always have an effect in the world. We're taught here by the psalmist that in our worship, we proclaim the word of God and we lift up praises with our mouths, with our throats. And the lost will be judged. This is part of the word of God. That there is judgment coming for those who are not saved, for those who are not the people of God. So vengeance is executed and punishment comes upon the peoples. And People are bound in chains. Those who are leaders that are written judgment will be executed upon them. And that brings honor to his saints. Now the honor that is brought, the privilege of the honor that is brought to his saints is that this same word that condemns the lost in their lostness raises up, strengthens, and brings even higher those who are his appointed saints. And so delivering the word of God, teaching the word of God, preaching the word of God with praise in our mouths and our lips 
brings us properly to the battlefield of the world and it will have its effects. God doesn't have to report to me who has been affected or how the world has been affected. I just understand that his word has already told me there'll be an effect. I just accept that. I may not always see it, but I understand it. The importance of the power of praise and the double-edged sword in the hands of his saints. Okay, well, that's uh, instructions in worship. Thank you for being here. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, how we love you. How we long to worship you in the appropriate way. Let the world know who we are, who Christ is, and what his kingdom is all about. Strengthen us in this battlefield that we might accomplish what you've sent us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, God bless you. Thank you for being here.